0: My name is Daniel, I'm one of the pastors here at The Crossing, and I do have the privilege to be able to continue into our series on the book of Daniel, it is how me and the other Daniels were named, and that's what we, <laughs> we are named after. A little bit about myself, one thing that you guys may not know about me was that I was not always in full-time ministry, is that when I graduated from college, I joined up in a church startup. And in order for us to support ourselves, we had to, well, I got a typical normal day job, like anybody else, anybody like you, you here. Well, one thing I noticed, though, is that when I was introducing myself, getting to know my coworkers at the, my job, they would always ask me as a young grad, so where'd you go to school? And I would tell them, well, I went to Biola University. It's a university, it's a college down in Southern California. And 100% of the time, they would say, what is that and where is that? And I would have to explain to them that this was a Christian college that I, I went to do, do, do my studies. And as soon as I said the word Christian, it almost felt like a sense of, oh, they kind of took a step back and kind of like a deep breath. You're one of those. <laughs> but I still had to know that God had put me in place there for a purpose. That i perhaps perhaps supposed to be able to build a relationship with others. So I would work on just getting to know my coworkers. <laughs> To show them that I'm not this crazy, ultra-conservative right-wing nut, right? And just to let them know that I'm kind of normal. Like, you. I can try to get to know you guys as well. And over time, we we're able to just kind of share common interests, learning about things that they like and I like, and try to find things that are in common so I could build this relationship. And I found out, during that time, that, well, I played golf, and they were trying to learn how to play golf. So they asked me, hey, could you teach us after work? Sure, here's my opportunity to get to know some of my coworkers. And so, after work, at times we would go to the driving range, getting to know them. Okay, he's, Daniel is not this crazy right wing nut anymore. And I was getting to build these relationships. But I remember this one night, there was this one guy that I was trying to get to know. And I don't know, I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit was just prompting me. He's like, You got to get the courage to tell him about God. And I'm thinking, Dude, That's awkward. <laughs> I don't know if you ever felt like in those moments when you're just around just people that are just not from the church. It's like, it's, I just so nervous. Like I, it's so awkward to be able to bring up the conversation, to turn a conversation to a spiritual things. So in my delayed obedience, after a while, I finally just asked him, hey, you go to church? <laughs> And he could tell this awkwardness was kind of in that conversation. And, and, and in my mind, I'm like, why did I say that? Like, he is probably the most unlikely person to ever even want to maybe think about who God is. I mean, he's this chain-smoking, just drinking and just cursing kind of guy. There's no way he would be able to accept who God is. But in, in, out of respect, he looks at me and like, okay, well, I'll let you tell me what you believe in. So I I was able to share with them the gospel message. And just thank you. Let me think about that. And about a week later, I remember in the office, he walks up to me where I was in my cubicle and says, you know, Daniel, don't ever talk to me about religion ever again. And really at that moment, I felt like such a failure. What did I say wrong? I mean, was the Holy spirit not telling me something to do right? I, mean, I thought I was supposed to confront somebody to let them know this good news of what the gospel is. But me being very stubborn, I was kind of persistent, and I kept bugging him about it, but then he kept brushing me off. After a while, I'd move on to a different job, but at the church that I was attending at at the time, we had a mutual friend. After about a year and a half or so goes by, I'm at a church service, and all of a sudden I look towards the back, and I'm like, oh, he's there. Oh, Okay. And after a few weeks come by, you know, he kind of pops in and there out of church. Then he kind of checked out my small group, like, oh, my God, what is he doing? (laughs) And after a while, he walks up to me. He says, and this is years later, thank you for telling me about God and never giving up on me. You know, I really wish that my story could have been, you know, on that night when I told him about gospel at the driving range, that he was right there, he just received Christ as his Savior. But I don't have the gift of evangelism. And because when we're living in between two worlds a lot of times, and what we're learning about in the book of Daniel, is that there, there are going to be moments that we need to confront and assert our values to others. And last week, as we were learning in, in the book of Daniel, that w- w- do we need to have the courage to, be able to stand up for what we believe in, to not compromise the faith, even if it means standing in the midst of fire. But do we, can we, in this, today's passage, we're going to, in Book Daniel, to have the, the courage to be able to tell like, people the truth that they do not know? Because I know I, it takes courage to confront, in, in general. Confrontations are always uncomfortable. They are never easy. To be able to tell a family member, I mean, just beyond telling somebody about who Jesus is, I mean, imagine telling somebody who's in your family, someone who's close to you, about unwise decisions. It takes courage to be able to confront that. To tell a friend that the way that they're handling the finances, that they're buying things that they cannot afford. It takes courage to be able to do that. And it is never easy, but how did Daniel do it? How are we, as Jesus' followers, to be able to have this courage to be able to speak truth, especially to our friends, those that we have built relationships with in our lives? I know I am not the only one who has wished at a certain time that I should have spoken up when I stayed silent. Or times when I I, I spoke too soon and I didn't know the context, and I I wish I should have stayed silent (laughs) at those moments. And to be able to do it with just this gentleness that we are supposed to call to do in a loving way. And my main point for this morning is that God, He uses us to confront those close to us with gentleness. And that is where we're going to learn from Daniel this morning. Because if God has put everything, if we believe that God has been able to put everything in our lives together all out through history, then it is not too far of a stretch then to know that he has put the things in our lives in place into history or in, in our lives. Then it is also not too far of a stretch to say then that he has put the people in our lives for a purpose and for a reason. If he is in that much of a control. as it. We believe in that or not. And we're heading into this a second dream in the book of Daniel now, where a second dream where King Nebuchadnezzar has. And you can see how Daniel is put in this incredibly uncomfortable, awkward situation, and we'll see what he does. So if you have your Bibles with me, We open up in Daniel chapter 4 is where we're going to continue on. And before we can get in there, just to give it a little bit of context, what's been going on between last week to this week, was that there's been a... You're going to see a shift in the author of who's speaking in chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is the one sharing now, with not Daniel anymore. Not only that, it, it, what is about to take place, is about 30 years after he, they just threw him in the furnace <laughs> from last week. So this is about the 30-year stretch, and now they're going to give into a vision of what is going to happen, what's the second dream, of what's going to happen. And this the visions going to take about eight years to fulfill, but this passage. It starts off with Nebuchadnezzar going back in hindsight eight years prior. This is what happened before, it led me to after the fulfillment of the vision. So in Daniel chapter 4, if you guys oh, I got to turn there as well. Chapter 4 in verse 1 and verse 1 to 3, Nebuchadnezzar he begins with an ending as he starts this section. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar starts with the ending. This is what has, this is I mean, he's praising God, but the reason how I got here is because of the following. And he starts starting at the beginning of this vision now. And we do not know why it took this long for him to be able to finally see God as the one true God. He's already seen the miracle of seeing Daniel interpret a dream that the first time. He's seen Daniel and his friends come out of a furnace unscathed. We still didn't believe who God was, but it was this or what is to come. But the fulfillment of this vision for the next eight years that finally caused them, okay, I'm going to believe, if I finally believe that God is the one true God. And King Nebuchadnezzar is the, one of the most unlikely individuals to have ever believed who God was. He was evil. Of all the atrocities that he'd done throughout history, I might be dating myself when I talk about this guy, but back about 15, 20 years ago, there was a dictator named Saddam Hussein, who ruled over Iraq? His the guy he looked up to was King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he believed to be King Nebuchadnezzar reincarnate. He was going to make Iraq the you know kind of like the Babylon <laughs> to be able to reach out to, to do that. That's who he was. Most unlikely person, but yet somebody had to confront him with the truth. But if we look at these, these verses here, if we look at just the first two words, King Nebuchadnezzar, and if I were to replace those words with the Apostle Paul or Peter, a bondservant of Christ, this first three verses could really look like something that come out of one of the, in the, the beginning of the epistles in the New Testament. We wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. But yet is the king who is most unlikely to ever believe who God was. He is the one speaking here. But what happened? So he go eight years earlier, this is what happened. I'm enjoying life. I'm enjoying my prosperity. The kingdom is going great. And I just, he's loving it. In the second section of this, we get into this dream. Taking a nap in the middle of the day. In verse 4, 7, second section, we see his testimony. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, and they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers they came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar, is a creature habit, he went back to the exact same type of individuals who couldn't tell him the answer the first time. And uh, and we'll see why he actually did that in a little bit in the coming verses. But just a little clarification. When I, every time I read in the Bible about magicians or these, uh, these or conjurers sometimes or enchanters, okay, these magicians, they're not the type that we see in the modern day. They're not doing sleight of hand card tricks or trying to make things disappear and reappear out of nowhere. These magicians, I think the, the closest thing I would call, uh, they would just put together herbs or just like liquids together and really essentially make their modern day uh, or modern day drugs um, I call them the modern-day biochemists. Okay, maybe so that's probably the best way to try to put them. And these are the smartest individuals in the land. They're these scientists, the ones with the PhDs. And he's saying, "Okay, can these guys tell me what my dream means?" And so, I, so I, I just call these guys the wise men because I don't like saying off the word of them over and over. So I'll be referring to them as wise men in the coming passage. So they couldn't, they they couldn't, or they wouldn't tell them what it means. And here it comes in verse eight. Here comes Daniel in the scene. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, "O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw, and there." interpretations. And you got to remember, Daniel came in separately because earlier in chapter 2 he was promoted. He's working in a different part of the palace. So when he called all the, the, the wise men all together, Daniel wasn't with them. But what's interesting is they've had a relationship for many decades already. Why didn't the king go to Daniel first? He went to the guys that couldn't answer the first time and completely skipped over the guy who was able to do, could do exactly what he wants to do. And the reason why it's not that they didn't know that the king was hoping to find somebody to tell him what he wants to hear rather than what he needs to hear. It'd be great to be able to be told that the way he's living his life, the way he's ruling the kingdom, is okay. And if you could tell people around him, around people of all these yes men, tell them like, you know you're fine. Oh, don't worry about that dream. And the way we apply it into our lives is because we actually can do the same with our, about ourselves. And with the internet at our fingertips, it's so easy for us to go just look up to find somebody with a PhD or find somebody who calls himself a pastor, but to justify the way that you and I live our lives. That the sin that our life, even though is contrary to scripture, the authority of what the Bible says that we should be living our lives, that we can tell ourselves, hey, but, but so-and-so says, this is okay. I want to tell somebody to justify who, what, 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 the way I live and what I do, it's okay so I can feel that it's right. But let's look into the vision now in verse 10 to 12. the visions of my head as i lay in bed were these i saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great the tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all, the beasts of the fields found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. In their context, when they, in their poetry, in their writings, back in their times, anytime they would ever see a tree, it always represented the rulers of the time. He knew that. No one had to tell the king that. Everybody knew that. So then in verse 13 to verse 15, well, if he knew that, well, he's still asking, well, what does this mean? Verse 13, his idol well then continues in the vision. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven, he proclaimed aloud, and said thus Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. But I leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Now, a watcher or a watchman in their context was somebody who essentially carried out the will of the highest power in the land. And for King Nebuchadnezzar, in his context, he is the strongest guy in all of the land. Actually, in all of the world at the time. So only he could be able to send out these watchmen or these watchers to go and do the will of the king. But in his vision, he sees somebody else calling a watcher. So which means there's somebody greater than him, and this greater than him is knocking down this tree, which is in their context a ruler. He's starting to put two and two together. What? And he starts to see. What this means. But look here in verse 14 to 15. This is a little shift in what he does in the changing of this pronoun. We see going, talking about an it to an him. Something that is inanimate to something that is animate. So, what is this animate? What happens to this animate object from this, that turns from an it to a him? In verse 16, let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. This, this beast, meaning of this, this hymn, is going to be wild, out of control, just from eating off the ground. And for a period of seven times, which we don't know, it's unclear at the moment, but we will find out how long the seven periods are in, in the coming verses as well. But why is all of this happening? Why is the tree being chopped down? Why is the stump still being like in chains of this iron and bronze? And the purpose was in verse 17 so that the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it. The lowliest of men. The purpose of all of this was to have to judgment that God is still in control, and that this ruler is going to be able to face judgment for all the atrocities that this ruler has ever done in his life. And God is the one who put him there. God is the one that can take him out. But look here in verse eighteen, though. So this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, Obadiah. Tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able. For the spirit of the holy gods is in you. He knew what it meant, but he didn't want to believe it, and nobody wanted to tell him. We wants to tell the king that? Hey, you're not going to be ruling very much longer. But who would have the courage to tell him? It's very uncomfortable super awkward. This is where the courageousness of Daniel comes. In the third section of the final section of this, starting in verse 19, Daniel speaks. He has the courage to confront with gentleness. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, does not your dream of the interpretation alarm you? Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel was alarmed. He was like, nobody's telling him what it means. Do I want to tell him what it means? I mean, How would he react? What if he gets super angry? Remember the first time you get, somebody couldn't tell him what, what it meant? He, he had a decree, kill all the wise men in the land. And 30 years ago, when I didn't want to bow down to his image, he threw me in a hot, hot furnace. What if he does it to me again? How would he react? I mean, do I have the courage to be able to bring up the truth? Because easier than gentleness, at this point, Daniel, he could have told the king, "Well, that's, this is going to serve you right. You deserve everything that's going to about to come to you, of all the atrocities that you have done to all the people, how you've oppressed all the people of the land just to make yourself rich." You deserve what God is going to do to you. He doesn't say that. Especially with all the past. Remember, this is the king who destroyed Daniel's home. This is the king who marched him across a desert in chains. This is the king who tried to take away his identity, take away his name. This is the king that took away his manhood. There's a reason why we don't hear about Daniel and his family or his kids. He never had any. He was a eunuch. They castrated Daniel and his friends when he got to Babylon. All these atrocities. And at this moment, Daniel has a choice. I could be pretty mean back to him right at this moment. But he does it. He does it with this gentleness and his courage to be able to, to see the goodness of God still in the midst of the way he's been treating others in his life. That's so what he interprets it for him. In verse 20 to 23. Wishing that this interpretation is for his enemies and not for himself. That, little, that gentleness that he has. In verse 20, he says, The tree you saw, if he knew this, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves are beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven And let his portion be with the beasts of the field till the seven periods of time pass over. The king is the tree. Just similar to the Tower of Babel in Genesis, as they were building, trying to get too high, God knocked it down. Tower of Babel is how King Nebuchadnezzar named the empire Babylon. And just like the tree that was reaching up too high again, God is going to chop it down. The king didn't need the interpretation. He's a smart guy. We had to give credit. I mean, he still was still able to build a lead entire nation, the strongest, one of the strongest nations ever in history. But he didn't want to believe what he had just seen in his vision, and so his judgment, in verse twenty-four to twenty-six. And this is the interpretation, O King. It is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass you over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you, from the time that you know the heaven rules, the, the king is going to be struck with a mental illness that we have now, with science, science realize what it's called, zoanthropy. It's a mental illness that, uh, that, that has been documented now, but we have treatment nowadays that for it. Where somebody in their minds actually believes that they are an animal and lives off and just like like an ox that you will live and just eat grass off the field, and for a period of time, and that is and in at some amount of time, if the king continues his ways, this is what's going to happen to him. This is the warning. He sees it, and the seven periods of time and we reason why it's seven. Seven has always been the, the number of completion in the Bible. That he would have a complete judgment on him for all the atrocities that he has done. That this would be due justice for him. This is what you deserve. This is what you are going to get. But Daniel, here, he could have stopped. That's it. I'm done with my interpretations. I'm going to go back to my job. But he doesn't stop there. He wants the king to know who God is. So he continues on in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. This was the reason why God had Daniel where he was to be able to be thrown into the furnace, to be able to live in the 30 years as a eunuch and just patiently in this kingdom that was not his home, was for this moment of time to be able to have the courage to confront a king, to tell him the truth of who God is, and then to leave the results up to God. And it would be heaven great if the king was able to, at that moment, yes, Daniel, you are right. Let me turn from my sins and receive Christ as my say, or receive God as the one true God at the time. But he's telling the king, you need to stop what you're doing. Stop oppressing the point, show mercy to them. Stop just trying to accumulate all these riches for your own. Stop trying to just be the most powerful man in the world and just pursuing after all the wants of the world. You've got to stop. And a lot of times when we confront others, we often use the word stop, don't we? You need to stop making those unwise decisions. You need to stop the subscription services that you have no business having in, in your life. You need to stop cheating on your test. <laughs> you need to stop doing what you're doing in your life. And that's the truth that they need to hear sometimes. But how do we do that with this gentleness that, we're, that Daniel does in his life? We're not the only ones that ever struggled with Confronting with gentleness. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul shares with us how he encouraged the Galatians to be able to do this as well as for us to do this in our modern days. How do we confront with gentleness in our lives? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, I'll have it on the screen as well, and I'll read it. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When we are confronting with for, for gentleness, it is gentle if the goal of our confrontation with somebody is to the first goal of restoration, because we want them to be made whole again. We want them to be able to get better. We want them to be able to just be right again, be made whole. And the second part, when we, want, we know, am I confronting with gentleness, is to confront with caution. Because it's very easy when we're confronting somebody telling something about the truth, of something that they need to hear, of their own wise decisions. It's very tempting. And that's not the temptation to fall into what they are doing, but the temptation of pride, that, oh, I'm better than you. Because I'm not going through what you're going through. And we've got to be very careful. That if I'm coming here to, be able to help restore you to be who you need to be. And to be able for you to be able... And I'm not trying to say that I'm better than you, but that I am just a sinner, just like everyone else, and that be restored to be made whole again. Because isn't that what God did for us? Because while in the New Testament, we are to carry... Up the the burden of others because Je- Jesus carried the cross for us. Why are we were yet s- still sinners? Christ saw us, needed to have us restored back to him. So remember, God created us to be with him in heaven. But because of our sins in our lives, we were separated from him. And our sins could never be made clean, but by our good works, by doing the good things in our lives, so that Jesus, paying the price for our sins, made that bridge to restore us back to who he is. So, anybody who believes in that, to live a life with him, life eternal, and that life with him starts now. And so Jesus, when he carried the across, he confronting us with of our sins and life, with this gentleness. He's not saying, I am better than you guys, but made a man just like very one like us. So he, we can relate to us in our sufferings. So we could be able to restore back into this relationship with God as well, which is why that is our motivation to us to be able to carry the burdens of others that we have in our own our lives for ourselves. I'm going to have the worship team come back up, transition our time back into time of worship. Knowing that we need to confront others with gentleness this week, are there any hard conversations that you and I may have to have this week? Perhaps with a family member, a close friend of ours, uh, perhaps a co-worker that we just kind of hit it off with. It's beyond just telling somebody about the truth of the gospel that the spirit of God just moves us towards, but it, or just telling somebody in their unwise decision it could be telling your own, perhaps even your own spouse you know our marriage is not where it needs to be that this status quo of where we're at is not where God is not honoring to the God them it's, it's time to get some counseling. might be telling a friend or family member that just finances are all in trouble he says what you're doing is not right let me help you try to f- set up a budget and anyways when we ever try to talk to anybody about confrontation that we're doing with gentleness it's it's always messy <laughs> it's, it's always uncomfortable it's always a little bit risky but if god was the one who put if we believe that has put all the events in history all together to where they are now and he's often too far of a stretch to believe then that he's put the events in my life to where they need to be where they are now it's not too far as Stretch didn't believe that he's put the people in place in my life in my circle of influence that I've had built relationships with that I am able to go and confront them with gentleness so they can be restored and be made more whole into their life as well let me pray first God we just all first I want to thank you for your gospel message while yet we were still sinners you died on a cross for us and by your wounds we are healed and by your pain and your suffering that we will no longer face that we we are no longer condemned you confronted us with gentleness God would you give us the courage to confront those in our lives that you will move us towards to confront to let them know the truth of what they need to know God, I pray for anybody here this morning who has never made that commitment to be able to follow you in their life before. That they acknowledge that, once, that today, like the king, that you are the one true God. That they would believe in their hearts that, that you died and rose again for their sins. And that this morning they, they will confess those sins to you and decide now to live forever for you. And for the rest of us, God, who have made that decision before in our lives and have, we have not, we've forgotten about your grace and we've forgotten about your faithfulness in our lives. Would you continue to work through us this week? Holy Spirit, into all us, use our lives for your glory. To talk to those you've put in our hearts, that you've put in place for us. To encourage those in our families, encourage those in our friends through chat or through text. That they could know who you are one day and we will just then leave the results up to you and in your time in God. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.